Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. This is episode number 50. I'm your host, Daniel, and I'm here with Jonathan. Before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all of our new and day one listeners. We want to honestly thank you all who have continued to listen and press play at their own leisure. Yeah, and I want to take the time out to appreciate all of the listeners that have been listening to us since episode number one, right? So myself and Daniel want to say thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for taking time out your day to listen to any of the episodes that we have. And another thing is this something that we added on that's new. So as we stated last week, you know, we are continuing with the new segment moving forward. And that is something that we're planning to do every week. We would like people to, you know, briefly close their eyes for 15 seconds at any part of your day. Doesn't have to be now. Doesn't have to be during the podcast. It can be during any portion of your day that, you know, suits and is convenient for you. And we want you to tell God one thing you are thankful for, you know, today. One thing you are thankful for in that moment. One thing you are thankful for that has helped you and made you really appreciate, you know, what you have. You know, we are encouraging people to do this because every day is a gift from God, right? The air we breathe, the opportunities that we have, the favor we have. Right. Those are just a few of those gifts that I'm speaking of. Now, obviously, right, there are several things occurring and, you know, you have the good, the bad. But no matter what is happening, whether it's happening within your circle or out of it, we want to encourage people to know that we should be thankful for something. Take nothing for granted. Okay. therefore, please be thankful for everything you have. And on that note, please take the time out. To use the 15 seconds if you so choose right now and tell God what you are thankful for. So, Daniel, as last week, if you don't mind sharing, what is one thing you are thankful for today when you look at it? Hmm. The thing that I was thinking about when it came to just being thankful is just having the ability to for discernment. The fact that we talked about that so much and I'm finding a lot of areas in my own life which I can apply it. It's been uh very big for me. So I'm really thankful for discernment this week. Okay. The ability to discern. Yeah, for me, what I'm thankful for is you know, having a job, right? Obviously, with the pandemic, a lot of people have lost their jobs. Some people have gotten it back. Others remain unemployed. I'm thankful for having a job because it allows me to be a blessing to others, right? And their time of need. And on that note, I suppose I have one story that I can share that transpired this week. So I went about doing my laundry this week. And I couldn't help but notice that 
when I was bringing my laundry into the laundromat, there was a gentleman and I believe his girlfriend or his wife who were sitting on the side of the laundromat in the shade. Now, this was Thursday and it was, I can tell you, it was extremely hot, extremely humid. And, you know, this that verse in the Bible that I speak so often about in First John and, and I talk about what Jesus Axes of us as believers, and the text in First John speaks to the idea that how could you see someone in need, right, and not do anything? Was the first thing that came across my mind. The other thing was Jesus tells us that we should visit the sick, visit those, or take care of the sick. You know, visit those who are in prison, you know, feed the homeless, right? Because he said that, well, the homeless will always be with you, but I won't, right? And this is at the time when Jesus was on the earth. And instantly, having seen what I saw several times, I then went over and I, I spoke with the gentleman and asked him what he wanted to eat. And we went to a deli and he got both of them some turkey sandwiches and I was just happy to see that he had a smile on his face right and this is one of the reasons why I want to be a football player because I always wanted to be the one to provide some sort of shelter for people right I wanted to be a voice and I thought with my talents as being a professional athlete that's what I was striving to do that I can do a lot more from that platform unfortunately that's not the case but I believe God still encourages us to do what we can with what we have. And therefore, just seeing him almost felt like he was a kid at a candy store because he was like, can I get this? Can I get this? And I said, whatever it is that you want at this moment, I want to be able to provide you. And at least I say this because, you know, unfortunately, I won't be there to help him get dinner. I won't be there to put a roof on his head. But what I can do is feed you for the time being, and that's what I was able to do, so I was just, you know, thankful for that, and I suppose another story that came up this week, right, and I'm kind of sharing you how my week went, was I was on the phone with Jen on a Saturday, going home, and, you know, one of the things I've learned about being a driver is it's a huge responsibility, not just a responsibility, it's a privilege, right, you get behind the wheel, You've earned the right to be legal as a driver, and therefore, it's a huge responsibility to really obey the law. Because it's not just for the protection for yourself, but it's the protection for others. And so often, I've gotten behind the wheel, and I've seen a lot of people who drive, and especially when it gets late at night, they don't want to obey the traffic law. They don't want to obey the speed limit. And prime example was... As I was driving that night, the individual felt the need to drive excessively around me to get in front of me. And I remember me as a, I would say, immature driver. A lot of times when I would see people doing that, I wouldn't let them go by. I would let them suffer and stay right behind me, right? Because you have no business doing that. Apparently this time around what I did was I decided to pull over to the side. Right. That's what wisdom has. You know, that's how my wisdom has developed over time. Right. That 
you know, just driving so much and so often, you know, it, you're not going anywhere, right? You should be taking your time to get from point A to point B. And in that moment, I let him go around me, and just a few lights ahead, he got into an accident, mm. right? <laughs> got into an accident. Now, what I wanted to do was drive out and be like, this is what you get. But instead, I felt like the circumstances that he was under, whether he was going to be stewed, whether his car was going to be towed. And it, and it was happened to be he was driving a BMW. And I don't know what it is, but people, once they get those sort of toys, they act reckless and irresponsible. And yeah, I basically saw that he crashed into it. And I think what really alarmed me is he crashed into a Acura SUV. And out of it came a husband and a wife, three kids and a baby, right? And that alarmed me. And therefore, I pulled over to the side and prayed, and I hoped that there was no damage done. But the point is, when you're out doing what you want, when you want, you don't understand the consequences. Like, you have the choice. Yes, you have the choice to either do right or do wrong. But the people, on the other hand, I think him as the driver, the father, he's just doing what he's supposed to do. And as a result, you know, his car got trashed, right? You know, the BMW, the guy crashed into his car. And unfortunately, he has to suffer for somebody else's immaturity and bad decision-making. And I think in life, this is what you get for the most part. Anything you want to touch on about that? Anything you want to share? Your thoughts on the story? Anything, man? Uh, like I always say, there's no reason to be in a rush. And seeing how somebody could be so irresponsible behind the wheel, considering all the, you know, car accidents that's reported yearly, don't drink and drive, all the campaigns and stuff that you got going around. It always, you know, always disheartens me every time I hear that somebody's gotten in an accident. But that's life. Hopefully he learns from it. That's that's all we can hope for at this point. And, uh, yeah, that's really all I can add. Mm-hmm. So please, I encourage people out there, be responsible with the privilege and opportunity that you have. Don't think for a moment that anything silly that you do, there isn't a consequence for it. You may not get caught the first few times, but eventually, got to use wisdom, man. Got to use wisdom. So how about you, Daniel? How has your week been? Any stories, anything that came up, anything you want to share? Uh, nothing in particular. So far, you know, uh, last week was really just typical work. More work. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. It's just been a pretty typical week for me. Not too much to add. All right. Cool. Well, on that note, we're going to get right into it. Episode 50, man. Episode 50. All right. We're going to jump right into prayer. So, oh, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord. You said in your word that you oppose the proud, but show favor to the humble. And as we go into your word today, we ask that you, that your word, right, we, reminds us to remain humble, no matter how great things may be at, you know, their moments. Lord, I pray that in this discussion we have today, your word will allow us to keep things in proper perspective when change is required. Lord, as we observe this world that we live in, when it comes to living right, there are so many different ideologies being embraced. However, 
on the truth of the matter is podcast we are only concerned with living and operating things in the way of the kingdom mindset the kingdom way your way and allowing your way to continue to be the truth and the life to those who believe it therefore open the eyes the ears the hearts and the minds of every listener and to everyone in agreement with these words please say amen amen yeah so for those who remember or are tuning in it was episode 27 where we first had a conversation about the topic of the era of self-righteousness and that was through the context i believe of luke chapter 11 verse 37 to 54 now it was a lengthy text to unpack but our conversation started from the idea of culture and its traditional practices was heavy regarded as what they felt was the gospel but it was really about the mosaic law and what they were trying to line themselves up with right that was originally the first covenant it was about the law right so to speak at least to that right that's how they interpret it right they interpret it as the gospel at the time, right? What you do, how you exercise, the way you go about it. The law to them was what the gospel is to us now. Just more strict. And it unpacked itself more in the element of culture, Jewish culture, right? Now, we also touch bases on the woes that Jesus mentioned in those texts. Right. And this is, again, for those who are interested, I would encourage you to listen to episode 27 before you listen to this, because this is just another element, another aspect, another level of what we're going to go into today. Now, as a reminder, please, Daniel, you know, if you don't mind, can you define the woes and what it means for our audience? Grief, anguish, affliction, wretchedness, calamity or trouble. Woe is an explanation of judgment on others. Woe as an explanation of misfortune on oneself. Woe as an explanation of sadness over others. And woe may give way to forgiveness, comfort, and deliverance. So yeah, again, as a reminder, the book of Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54, the context declares that the use of the woes were being used as an explanation of judgment on others. That's what it was used for at the time. However, in today's discussion, we're going to look at the era of self-righteousness on a much more personal level with the use of a parable brought up by Jesus. Remember, parables are simple stories used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. So, just like last week, we are learning from a parable. Okay, These parables are extremely important. There's a lot that you can pull out of it. There's a lot that you can study from them. When you really want to dig deep and really pull out the meat, the context, this is the length that you're willing to go. So the text for today, as we continue with the Gospel of Luke series, and I know we've been in here for a while, but I'm hoping that a lot of what we've been talking about has been helpful. Okay, is we're going to look at Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at this 
from verse 9 of 14. And we will start with the NLT version, but we will look at three of the translations just within the first verse so that we can really understand the meaning of the text through the wording of the different translations. Okay. I want us to really get this. So take this personal. Okay. And I want you, if you don't mind, open up your understanding and be a little bit open. Okay. So on that note, I'll let Daniel take it away. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at distance and dare not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Alright, great job, Daniel. So we will take a look at one verse at a time. Okay? There's six verses here. And I want to give you some perspective, something to consider and possibly think about, okay? Just want to open up your mind a little, right? And I don't know if Everyone has listened to the first few episodes, but I major in philosophy, so I like to dig a little deeper sometimes, right? Daniel, I want to make sure I, I say this too. Daniel, you are more than welcome to jump in at any moment if you want to add something or if you want to ask a question or you want to provide something additional to what I'm saying. All right? Right on. All right. So I'm asking people to, you know, listen carefully to what I'm saying. So when we look at verse 9, we see that right off the back, Jesus decided to tell the parable for a specific reason. Now, that reason was to target the Pharisees. But why do I say that? When we go to verse 9, it starts off that Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and he scorned everyone else. So the word he used here is interesting, and that is scorn. Right. So, you know me, I like to look things up. Scorn means the feeling or belief that someone or something is worthless, despicable contempt. Right. So as you can see right off the bat, there was a Pharisee in the crowd. And there were plenty of them. Not just one. There were plenty of Pharisees in the crowd who were selfish people, me people. It's all about themselves and they care less about others. Right. Why would Jesus not feel the need to share that? If he wanted to point something out, you see, Jesus condemned the Pharisees, right? Because they were self-righteous, hypocrites, because the problem was it blinded them from seeing their need for repentance and a savior. This is why Jesus appeared. So Jesus told this parable to address them head on. Remember, if anything we've learned so far is Jesus is confrontational. Right. He decided to deal with the Pharisees publicly. 
why you may ask because the pharisees did a lot of slick things for public acknowledgement public consumption public recognition if you don't believe me let's go to the scriptures right so let's look at the gospel of matthew chapter 6 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 and i urge you listen carefully because the term hypocrite which is what jesus classified them as is used here again instead he doesn't mention them by name he just mentions them by what they've done so daniel take it away be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do you will have no reward from your father in heaven so when you give to the needy do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others truly i tell you they have received their reward in full but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Yeah, so... It's very self-explanatory, right? What you see here is Jesus explains the behavior of the Pharisees. And then he offers an alternative on what you should do, right? So there's no question about who Jesus is talking about, right? He's talking about the Pharisees. The issue is they want to be seen publicly. So Jesus called them out with their behavior that was done publicly. So let's look at verse 9 again. But what we're going to do, this is back into the original text for today. What we're going to do is we're going to look at it in a few other translations, right? This is just to get a little bit more depth or a bit more understanding from a different point of view of translations of the Bible. So let's begin with the Amplified Version. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves and were confident that they were righteous, posing outwardly as upright and in right standing with God, and who viewed others with contempt. Yeah, so the word contempt here means two things. The feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. Very similar to the first explanation and what we saw in the NLT. Another way to define contentment is disregard for something that should be taken into account. Interesting, right? Now, let's look at the Message Bible and see what it says in the Message Bible. He told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Yeah, so the key here is moral. Right? Performance. And another thing here is common people. Those are the key terms here. Now, when you speak of moral, you really mean morale, 
or morality, which is, you know, the principle concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. Right. Philosophic approach is to live right. And how do you do that? When you engage with a society, right, there's usually a particular system of values, principles of conduct one holds during this time. And if you're thinking about what transpired before, remember, the Mosaic law existed. And this Mosaic law that existed was very much rooted in Jewish culture. And. As a result to that, what you have is. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, these people within the community. were holding true, at least in their standard to the Mosaic law. Right. If we dig even deeper, many Pharisees, right, prided themselves in their strict avoidance of the obvious. That's outward sin. But they refused to look inside themselves and acknowledge the presence of innocent, which didn't fall within the boundaries of their man-made rules. And you know what's crazy? Jesus knew about it. And in spite of their obsession with outward perfection, they willfully resisted consciousness of their inner corruption and need for grace. Which is very interesting, right? Because what you see here is Jesus at one point was invited to eat at a Pharisee home. I believe so, right? If I'm wrong, somebody can correct me at some point. I'm okay with that. And during this time, Jesus illustrated the concept of washing the outside of the cup and not washing the inside of the cup. And that was very much so the purpose of what Jesus did. He attended the dinner. But he attended the dinner to point to the hypocrisy with hope that they would correct it. Right. So there's a text where Jesus wants to give. Now, this is something else that I want to add into this. Right. There's a text where, you know, Jesus wants to give the Pharisees the benefit of the doubt. But when you are operating the era of self-righteousness. And you aren't humble. The reality is you think you have it all together. However, the problem is it can backfire really bad. So let's look at the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at chapter 9. And we're going to look at two verses. 39 through 41. Actually, that's three verses. We'll look at three verses here. Daniel. For judgment, I have come into this world. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So what you see is a very powerful statement right here from Jesus. Very powerful, you know, reason to this, right? Because what you see here is Jesus has a willingness to say, well, you're blind. Because you're blind, you don't know any better. But the reality is when you're full of self-righteousness and you think you know everything, when you're actually in a place where you're supposed to be humbled and accept correction, you don't. We're going to get into that in just a second. But when we go to verses 10 through 14, we see that Jesus placed a Pharisee and a tax collector in the story. Why? Simple. Jesus came 
obviously for the lost sheep of Israel. And it was known that he did not associate with known sinners, right? Very interesting. And one of those known sinners were like tax collectors, right? But he freely associated with them. Why? Because he knew that they were more open to repentance. They had an open heart to do better. They were humble enough to admit they were wrong. But oh no, not the Pharisees, who again were full of self-righteousness. This is the danger of this behavior. And it's well said in the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves instruction and discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof and correction is stupid. Yes, I don't know about y'all here, but I love that verse so much, right? And the reason why I love that verse so much is because it constantly reminds me. One of the reasons why I love the book of Proverbs is because it's the book of wisdom. And what it allows me to understand is that in life, there's always a point in which you should be learning. Right. There's a verse, I believe, is in Corinthians where it says those who think they know something do you not yet know as they ought to know, which means that we should always be striving to improve, to be better, to level up. And when you think you arrive at something, you're, you're fairly mistaken. Right. You should always be in a position to accept correction. Because what happens is when you don't accept correction and you don't take that knowledge and insight that somebody else may share with you that can be used to help you prevent you from making something very stupid, right? And you go through it anyway, you're going to now regret the lending hand that wanted to be of assistance. And then it's going to show that you have to reflect on what you didn't allow to put you in a better place and a better predicament to be better, right? Now, what I want to do is I want to look ahead a little bit because here's the perfect example of humbleness. So let's take a look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, and we're going to go from verses 1 through 10 here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacharias. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacharias, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacharias stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Very good, very good. 
text here, right? This is very good and of course again self-explanatory. And again, just to emphasize this, the reason why we give you the text is because we want you to go back and check it. We want you to go back and look at the context. We want you to go back and reference it. And we think that's important for learning and growth and development. Now, let's go back to the text for today. And we're going to look a little bit more carefully at verses 11 through 12. And I want us to unpack something here. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Yeah, so what we understand so far is the man is proud of the things he's done, right? He's reminiscent on what the culture and his people say that are good things. Now, don't get me wrong here, right? Fasting is a good thing. Tithing is an honorable thing. And God appreciates what you give. However, the issue is what he says before that, right? It's all about what he leads with first. And I mind you, this is an example of what he's praying for. So we're learning about what's happening here. and. We should be taking notes to some degree because we're highlighting possibly how maybe some of us pray individually, right? Now, he speaks about other people's dispositions. And he does it as if he wasn't one who was a partaker in any of those behaviors once upon a time. The part where he says, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income kind of comes off as it's more about what he's done and he thinks that what he's done is worthy of him boasting in front of God that he's on the right track and that he's honestly declaring that he's believes he's righteous because of the things he does remember something and i've touched on this a few times and i want to touch on it again because it's always worth saying we aren't righteous because of the acts we are righteous because god says we are. right so here's the quick reminder if we go to second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 and we look at this in the amplification it's clear and it says this he made christ who knew no sin to judiciously be sin on our behalf so that in him, we will become the righteousness of God. That is, we will be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. So Christ, his righteousness is now on us. What is that righteousness? Let's define righteousness, right? The worldly definition of righteousness is the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Now, of course, that lines up with the thinking of the Pharisees. The Old Testament definition of righteousness is acting in accordance with divine or moral law. Say so they are acting in accordance to what is deemed correct religiously and culturally. However, here's what I am saying. And the reason why 2 Corinthians 5.21 is important is because what makes a person righteous in God's eyes isn't about their choices or commitment or their good works or even their emotional or their intellect. 
not about any of that. Instead, we are righteous because the Father chose us from the foundation of the world. So because of Christ's death, all those who are born again have that righteousness on them, which allows them to fulfill the correct ethical conduct. That conduct is to be more Christ-like. Here is why the prayer of the Pharisees is alarming. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. But this time, I want you to listen carefully here. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. And we're going to look at this in the NIV. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have had sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slenders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yeah, so the point here is most of us have a past. And to act with a high level of righteousness or arrogance as if Christ didn't change you, that's wrong. Right? Now, obviously, they were using the law. And their standard, we know, was extremely important to them. It was morphed into the culture. However, one thing that we should consider about the law comes right out of Romans chapter 3 verse 23 to 27 and this is what it says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbiddance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's also take a look at the book of James chapter 2 verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Yeah, so the lesson here is try and make the effort not to point to other people's mistakes as if you weren't at one point right in the situation they were once in your life. You see, you should learn from the mistakes that others make. But. I want you to have compassion and understanding that none of us should be judged by our worst moments. Why? Because we all have them. But more importantly, God knows of them. And the people around you don't. So don't fool yourself into thinking you're better. Because if all your bad decisions were on display, I'm pretty sure you'd be embarrassed just like the next person would be. So I I urge you and I say we should be more self-aware of that. All right. Another thing is when it comes to this is that when you come from a place 
of being sanctified and washed. That old lifestyle that you used to live, that you no longer live. You realize how much danger you were in if you continue to live that way. And therefore, your gratitude and your appreciation for Christ grows even more. To the point that you realize that he really saved you on where you were going. Because ultimately, the way James puts it is, sin leads to death. Because it does. And what I mean by that is, if you continue to do certain things that aren't wise, eventually you're going to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And it could very well cause you your life. That's what I mean by that. So, don't take it literally. But take, but look at it in the sense that whatever you're doing that you shouldn't be doing, you no longer have God's favor or protection over you if you enter into spaces that you shouldn't be in. And therefore, you can't predict the behavior of other people. One of my famous sayings that I, is I never put myself in predicaments or situations that I can't control. And that has a lot to do with being surrounded around people that aren't godly, but being surrounded around people that at any moment, at any time, whatever motives they have, can technically put a spin on that environment and cause a lot of confusion and chaos. And eventually, you don't have control over that. And whatever happens, happens. And you have to, unfortunately, deal with the consequences of that. So be mindful of this as well. So let's end with the example, right, that I believe we should follow. And that is the example of the tax collector who does this in verse 13. The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And this is what Jesus then says in verse 14. And this is what I want to say. He says this in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now the key word here to describe the actions of the tax collector that we can admire here is humility. What is humility? Glad you asked. Freedom from pride or arrogance. A modest or low view of one's own importance and or humbleness. Is there anything you want to add, Daniel? A very good way to sum this lesson up is God hates a proud, a proud look. So don't operate with a proud look. Yeah. I like that. Therefore, on that note, we're going to go into devotion. How would you describe your mental state right now? Are you content or discouraged? Do you feel close to God or distant from him? There may be times when you wonder if you'll ever be good enough. But understand that God has reconciled everything to himself. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, it says this in the NLT version. 
God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So understand that God is not distanced from you. Jesus had come to dwell in you, and through the cross, he demonstrated once and for all that he's fully committed to making peace with you. Any barriers between you and God have been removed. And there is no way to make yourself worthier of the cross. Reconciliation has been accomplished. You also have good news to share with others. The cross is for everyone on earth. And you'll only be able to share that message if you first believe that God has made peace with you. So Heavenly Father, guide me. Help me to trust that you've made complete peace between me and you by the blood of Jesus Christ, your son. Help me never to doubt that promise that you have given us and the sacrifice that was made. Help me to be humble and to never have a proud look. We say this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.